From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. If you borrow money from someone and then that person forgives your loan, you may not feel like it, but that's income that you just earned. And where there's income, of course, there's taxes. So what does that mean in the context of the big student loan forgiveness program President Biden just rolled out? Well, on the federal level, these forgiven loans won't be taxed. And that's also the case in most states. The key word there is most, though, not all. Around half a dozen states will be taking a cut of their residents' wiped out debt. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with Jared Walzak, a vice president at the Tax Foundation. Jared spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Michael Bologna about why some states aren't exempting forgiven student loans, why this makes things confusing for borrowers, and about how loan forgiveness is usually treated. The ordinary treatment of debt cancellation is that it's income and therefore it's taxable. And the logic of this is fairly straightforward. If you received something, either you received a benefit like an education in this case, or you received perhaps actually cash uh, for a transaction, and then you don't have to pay that back. This is income to you. And therefore, the IRS has always treated it as income. The federal tax code has treated that as income with a limited number of exceptions. There have always been a handful of exceptions on the books. Those have changed over time. But at both the federal and the state level, the standard treatment has been that the discharge of indebtedness is, in fact, taxable income. Mm-hmm. And, and what about student loan debt in particular when that was forgiven? How, how did the, the federal government and the, and the states uh, tend to treat that? Generally speaking, that's taxable. There are some narrow circumstances already where it isn't. For instance, there are some existing laws on the books regarding the forgiveness of debt for those who enter into certain professions, teaching, nursing. Uh, There have been laws that deal directly with this and provide that that is not taxable income. It's income, but it's not taxable. It's excluded. And many states, but not all, follow that. Some have uh, disregarded that. New York was a classic case of that with some of the um, distinctions on certain types of uh, student debt forgiveness, also discharge of indebtedness due to death and disability. But what we're seeing now is that under the American Rescue Plan Act, there's a provision that says that any sort of student debt cancellation between 2021 and 2025 is excluded from federal income tax. Mm-hmm. And what did what did that kind of capture? I mean, prior to this most recent program, and um, I'm thinking of the uh, the debt forgiveness that that went with uh, those for profit colleges, where there was a significant, I think, in the billions of debt forgiven for those, right? That's correct. There was debt forgiveness for individuals who had gone to for-profit colleges who, in many cases, probably weren't getting their money's worth and where there were some policies to provide relief for them. That would be the most obvious category here. There had been some questions early on about you know, the, the long delay in any sort of obligation, whether this was a discharge. I think the general position is no, but uh, some policymakers seem to like the uh, the sort of safety uh, blanket of, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, this is not taxable anyway. So now let's talk about this much broader program that we learned about just a few weeks ago. Um, and, and, I th- and I think it may affect as many as 40 million Americans. What, what, what are the terms of that? And, and what, uh, what did the Biden administration say about that in terms of federal taxes? The Biden administration is providing up to $10,000 worth of student loan debt cancellation for most borrowers, up to $20,000 if you are a Pell Grant recipient, provided these are federal student loans. And that's quite significant. Like you say, this could bring in perhaps as many as 40 million people. We don't have an exact count, but it's a lot of people. 
And because of this provision within ARPA, this will not be taxable at the federal level. And in many, but not all cases, will also be not taxable at the state level because so many states are conforming to the federal tax changes between now and 2025. Uh, it's important to note, though, that you know, the, the language is still up in the air. Uh, we have an announcement. We don't have all of the details. Nonetheless, we know the broad parameters, and it really only matters maybe for one state in how they treat it, and probably not even then. It's pretty straightforward at this point that some states will still be taxing this. Most states will not. And what, and what states ha- have we heard uh, do plan to tax this uh, cancellation of debt? Right now, we see seven states that would be in line to tax it, and some of them will probably change it. In fact, one state officials have just said we're going to change it. But these states are Arkansas, California, Indiana, Minnesota, Mississippi, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. And they get here in different ways, but for five of the seven, it was entirely, I'd say, I'd say unintentional in the sense that it's about broader tax conformity issues. It's whether they go it on their own on the tax code rather than bringing in significant portions of the Internal Revenue Code. Uh, there's two states in this list, Indiana and North Carolina, that actually decoupled from this provision of ARPA. Uh, they, When they updated their conformity with the Internal Revenue Code, they didn't bring in this provision. They specifically excluded it. Now, whether they were anticipating some sort of congressional action along the lines of what we've seen, uh, anticipating the possibility of an executive action that we actually have seen, or whether they were thinking of it in the narrower terms of what this provision may have meant in 2021. Uh, That's not for me to say. I really haven't seen many legislative statements on this. And that, of course, is relevant for whether lawmakers may rethink this now. But those two states took some affirmative step. The other five really fell into this. It's the quirks of the way that conformity works or sometimes doesn't work. And in California in particular, uh, legislative leaders have been pretty clear that if this is a problem, and you know, spoiler, it is, uh, then they want to fix it. So um, when it comes right down to it next year, are you imagining it'll just be two or three states that end up taxing this or what? I think it'll be a smaller number than seven. I don't know if it'll just be two or three. There are some hurdles to clear for this to change. Um, yeah, California has sort of an unlimited session. They could take this up this year. Uh, these other states would either need to be called in a special session or quite likely would simply try to take this up very early in the next legislative session. Most of them start their session in January. I think at least one of them may start in February, uh, which obviously makes this a fairly tight window. Uh, There's not a drop dead date, so to speak, other than April 15th. Uh, All of these states do have an April 15th uh, filing deadline. But nonetheless, people start filing well before that. And the longer you go into filing season, the more people will have potentially paid who you may have wanted to exempt. And then you either need to go through a tedious process of a lot of people filing amended returns or establish some sort of refund system. Both of these are messy. Both of them probably exclude some people, um, probably results in a lot of mistakes and a lot of confusion. So states are going to want to act quickly, which not only means voting on this early in session, but probably slapping what's called an emergency clause on the bills. Uh, The terminology varies from state to state, but that would be the generic overarching term, this idea that the law doesn't go into effect on July 1 at the start of a new fiscal year, which is the typical time that most state laws go into effect, but rather it goes into effect on enactment, on passage, essentially. Uh, Once the governor signs it, it's law, it's good, because you need to have it happen. It needs to be in effect before the tax filing deadline, and it really needs to be retroactive in some ways. This can be done. 
It usually requires a supermajority. I'm not sure that's going to be an issue. I think that in some of these states, you would have clear supermajorities. I don't think that this actually cleanly breaks down on red or blue lines. I think in a lot of states, this could just happen. But it's one more procedural hurdle to clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but by the way, is there much revenue actually in this for a state to tax um, student loan cancellation of debt? It's not insignificant. Uh, I think right now, if we're thinking of all seven states, including California, which is the big one here, uh, we're talking maybe 8 million people who are affected. And if you think about what sort of tax rates they might be exposed to, you might think of this as, you know, $500, $600 per person. You know, th- that adds up across 8 million people. So even in states where um, it's a smaller number of borrowers, it's not insignificant, but states are also flush with cash right now. State revenues have been incredible for the last couple of years. Maybe that doesn't last, but nonetheless, very few of them are scrounging in the couch cushions. They're not saying we really desperately need to cling to this thing that we really didn't anticipate because states didn't enter into the current tax year thinking that they would get revenue from student loan debt discharge. It wasn't part of their projections. Most of them aren't too worried about foregoing it. Now, we're also hearing that there may be some um, tax administration uh, policies for states choosing to um, uh, tax student loan cancellation of debt. Why don't you run through that issue with us? Yeah. So if a state wants to tax this, it gets tough. Typically, when debt is discharged, uh, the borrower receives a 1099-C form, which would indicate how much debt was forgiven and would provide a very clear signal that, hey, you're supposed to list this on your tax returns at both the federal and the state level. This information is also transmitted to tax departments, to the IRS, to your state tax department. They now know that you received this income and they expect it to be on your tax returns. That seemingly is not going to happen. We don't have definitive answers on this, but uh, the current consensus seems to be that these forms are not going out. If you are in one of these states that do tax it, you have a legal obligation to pay, but you're not going to receive a document, most likely, that indicates to you, here's how much has been forgiven, this is what you're supposed to do with it, and your state revenue department also doesn't receive any heads up, hey, this person owes, uh, we, you expect them to pay. So compliance might be low. Some of it might be people trying to uh, avoid their legal obligations, but a lot of it probably, honestly, is going to be sheer confusion. They've heard that it's not taxable. They don't know what their state's doing. There's not exactly going to be a line on the you know, tax return or even something clear in the instructions that says, add your student loan debt cancellation, and they omit it. Uh, so it's going to be very messy, potentially. And how, assuming there's no 1099Cs, what, what do you expect uh, state revenue departments uh, would do in terms of instructing their taxpayers? You know, it's really hard to say, especially in some of these states that have fallen into it. You know, how aggressive are they going to be about this? How much of a communications effort are they going to make? Uh, do they update instructions? Do they put something on the website? I, I don't really know. Um, and, you know, how aggressive are they if people fail to remit? Uh, of course, the only tax advice I can give anyone is if you owe, you owe, and please uh, you know, list this on your tax return and you know, pay the appropriate taxes. But it's also one of those classic cases where the complexity of state tax codes really does make it valuable if you have some unique circumstances. And I think student loan debt discharge, even though it's true for a lot of people, is a unique circumstance. Um, it's really valuable to talk to a tax preparer or even hopefully, hopefully the tax preparation software catches this. Um, you know, hopefully the, you know, all the mechanisms people go through catch this, but you know, if you're filling out your own paper form or just going on the electronic, like the e-file, it, it could be interesting. I think some people could get you know, tangled up in that. 
So uh, maybe a step beyond kind of the, the tax questions, I, I, I take it that there's some advocates out there who are pushing for more student loan debt forgiveness uh, in some form uh, going forward. Do you see any more of that happening? Uh, does, does that sort of make good sense to you in terms of public policy or where do you, you think we are on that? Yeah, I think there's a sharp distinction between how state policymakers are broadly viewing the question of the taxability of debt discharge and how they would view the policy of future debt discharge or even the current debt discharge. Uh, on the former, there's a broad consensus. I'm not saying everyone shares it, but most state officials, Republican or Democrat, don't seem very eager to tax this. Uh, who wants to raise taxes when you don't really need to? Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's clearly some significant divergences on whether this is good policy. Uh, on the one hand, you can argue you know, there's a lot of people in need. There's a lot of people who have really struggled to pay their student loan debt. Coming, we're coming out of a very tough period. You know, yeah, maybe this is the thing to do. Uh, on the flip side of this, you have arguments that it's at least mildly inflationary. Um, the argument that it's doing nothing to address the fundamental issues in student loan debt or the cost of higher education. In fact, it might have a positive feedback effect there where it's actually increasing uh, future debt costs and future higher education costs. It certainly creates some expectations. I mean, to your question, will this happen again? I mean, it creates that expectation, right? If, you know, if uh, someone right now has their debt forgiven and then you come along and you're a student and now five, 10 years later, you're paying, I mean, you're going to say, where's mine? Uh, it certainly creates that expectation, which again, feeds back into potentially higher costs and different decisions as people may assume that this debt is forgiven in the future. That was Jared Walzak, a vice president of the Tax Foundation, speaking with Bloomberg tax reporter Michael Bologna. You can find up-to-the-minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Rachel Daigle is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe over at On the Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On the Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now. And we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. You can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.